lesson recorded in Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. We've heard all of these words read for us, but I'd like to refer once again to verses 13 and following. Sorry, it's verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So far the words of our text. We pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you come into our lives and into our hearts through the gospel. Bless us and strengthen us to see our Savior Jesus. And with his love, help us to reflect that to those around us. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. One of the reasons you called me to be a pastor of this congregation, it was stated very clearly to me in that job description, so to speak. It was to draw in families with children. It's pretty obvious as to why the congregation here in Yuma would want to do something like that. There's obviously a fear that with an older congregation, we might not have the youth in our church, and eventually what happens to a church like that, it no longer exists. But I think that as believers, as Christians, we hear God's command, we read his word, we understand that there's a little bit more to it than just the preservation of a church that's at stake here. For me to say that families are important, that's probably an understatement, isn't it? Some have even gone so far as to say that the family unit is the fundamental building block for society. I think we would agree with that also. When you have strong families, there you also have a strong society, a strong country. As obvious as that sounds, it might be as obvious as to say that birds can fly or the sky is blue, there are still some who have expressed different understandings and perspectives on family and marriage. I'm going to read this quote because I didn't memorize this one. I didn't really think it was worth memorizing, but here goes. The family, these skeptics have said, the family is simply an institution for the more complete subjugation and enslavement of women and children. I disagree also. <laughs> Marriage is an institution which robs a woman of her individuality and reduces her to the level of a prostitute. Strong words. History social studies, you name it. They've all shown that where there is a breakdown of that family unit, there is also a weakening and a breakdown of that society. Eventually that society collapses. As Christians, again, it's important for us to consider this. But not simply because we're interested in the kind of social or political impact it would have. 
We're interested in this because God's word says so. God also says he wants to bless marriages and families. His word does show that this basic unit of society didn't just happen, it didn't just come about through the arrangement and design of human beings, but rather it came about by God's design. And today, his word helps us to consider God's design and his will for building strong families, and not just for the betterment of society, but more importantly, to preserve and nurture that saving faith in his love for all of us, for all his children, of all ages, whether parents, spouses, all people, we want to know his love for us. Maybe not everybody has wanted to know that love. Many have questioned what the Bible says about God's love and questioned what the Bible says about things like marriage and family. In our text for today, you wouldn't have guessed it, but the religious leaders themselves questioned God's will on this very subject when they asked Jesus about marriage. But when they come to him, it's not because they're looking for deep spiritual truths to enlighten them and draw closer to God. Rather, they want to test Jesus. They want to trap him. Remember what that question was that they asked him? So Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? It's a very pertinent question still today. Well, instead of falling into their trap and engaging them in some lengthy debate on what marriage is not to be, Jesus rather settles the matter by the, talking about what marriage is to be based on God's word. The tactic that the Pharisees used there, though, they wanted to get Jesus to say either yes or no. They thought it might be one or the other. If Jesus said, no, it's not lawful to divorce your wife, then he would be contradicting and opposing the law of Moses. That's a no-no. If he says, yes, it's lawful, well, then he sounds soft on divorce, like the liberal Jewish law would say. Once again, Jesus doesn't fall for this trap. Instead, he refers to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, part of which we already read this morning. And that describes God's design for marriage. At weddings, we repeat these words to remind people, not just the couples, but all of us, what God's blessing is and how God ordained marriage. That it's to be a lifelong commitment. It says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's what Jesus said about marriage. Later at the home, with the disciples, Jesus answers questions that they have. They weren't quite sure what they were to make of that whole discussion before. And so Jesus talks to them. There's a confusion because at that time, people really didn't think that there was anything wrong with divorce. One of the popular th thoughts was that a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason. Just write her the certificate and send her away. But Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And the same would be true for a woman who divorces her husband. 
We realize, too, that in light and context of Scripture, Scripture does allow for divorce in the sense that there are certain grounds that break that marriage bond. Divorce is simply that process, that statement, that recognizes that the marriage bond has been broken for reasons such as marital unfaithfulness or desertion. Jesus says this exception of divorce was made because your hearts were hard. He told those teachers. He's referring to people in general. That because of our hard and sinful hearts that refuse to listen to God's will and His design for marriage, with sin in the world, we make a complete mess of things. And so, divorce is that thing that now minimizes, I guess you could say, the damage caused by people who sin by ignoring God's will for marriage. God allows divorce. It doesn't mean He likes it. In fact, in Malachi, God comes right out and says, I hate divorce. Just because we can legally dissolve a marriage does not make it pleasing in God's eyes. What is pleasing to God is when His children, husband and wife, come to Him in love for each other. Even when we struggle with each other, you've got two sinners living under the same roof, it's not going to be an easy go. But He says, come to Me. And in love, they come to God seeking His direction and strength, relying on His forgiveness and love. But it's exactly what the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh don't want. They say, don't come to Jesus. He's just going to tell you to submit to each other. You know what submission is? That's a sign of weakness. Don't come to Jesus. He's going to tell you to forgive each other. That person sure doesn't deserve your forgiveness. He's going to tell you to love each other. How can you love somebody when they don't even show that they love you? These enemies of our faith, enemies you could say of marriage itself, these enemies of God, would rather watch everything unravel and not do what is pleasing to God. They would argue you've got to love yourself you got to do what feels right. What you feel is right for yourself. And you know what? If everybody did what they felt was right, there would be no chance for unity. There would be no chance for true strength. No chance for forgiveness. And no chance to please God. When we come to Jesus, He shows us what unity and strength and love are all about. Jesus is perfectly united with His Father's will, doing everything that His Father demanded of us. Things that we could not do ourselves. Jesus saved us from our sins, from our selfishness, and from that punishment that we deserve. Jesus loved us. A world of sinners. And yet He gave His life for us by laying down that life and offering that perfect sacrifice to pay for all of our sins. Jesus said, greater love has no one in this. That he laid down his life for his friends. And that's the picture of love. 
that God gives us in his word, to lay down your life for the other. It also applies to that relationship between husband and wife. Our second lesson for today in Ephesians chapter 5 also helped to clarify that relationship. Where it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When a wife submits to her husband, it's not because it's out of weakness, as the world might think, but rather it's out of faith. Trusting that God will bless both her and her husband when she lets him take that leadership role. And husbands, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's talking about a self-sacrificing, unselfish love, not self-seeking. You know, a person can say, yes, I would lay down my life for my spouse. I would die for them. Well, the next question is, if you're willing to die for them, are you willing to live for them too? That means, are you willing to arrange your life, your schedule, for the good of that other person, for their needs? More specifically, from a spiritual standpoint, are you willing to set aside that time in God's Word and prayer together, to spend that time together, so that you can draw closer to each other and to your Lord? Are you willing to look out for each other's faith and soul? One could argue that making that kind of time, making that kind of a sacrifice, that is one of the greatest expressions of love that spouses can offer each other. Later on in the lesson for today, Jesus goes on to say, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You may be grown up, but you are still God's child. You're still growing in your faith. You're still trying to follow in the footsteps of your big brother, Jesus. And in an ever-changing world that fails to recognize God's love and his will for his children, we trust in Jesus his word. We come near to Jesus to receive his strength and love. Husbands and wives, too, come near to Jesus out of love for each other. Whether you're married or single, a parent or not, as members of this congregation, we have accepted a responsibility to care for children. They're part of all nations. They're part of God's kingdom, as Jesus already clearly pointed out here. And you, as members of this congregation, accept that responsibility, knowing what this can lead to, the salvation of many souls. Parents, you have a special responsibility also to patiently instruct and guide these little angels from little eyes. I don't know why some of you are smiling like that. We get to live with it, right, parents? Maybe you remember this also from your own time. Even when every fiber of your being is screaming to run as far away as possible from that screaming, tantrum-throwing, irrational creature, Legally, we must stay. 
To some, they are simply rugrats, munchkins, or ankle biters. But to parents, they are also money grubbers. Do you know how expensive kids are? And you realize, in saying such a thing, that's a very popular held belief. A popularly held belief. I say that tongue-in-cheek, of course, because as Christians we realize God gave children to us as blessings. And yet to many people, that's not the word that they would use. Jesus says that they are examples and role models for us of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. Those who trust in him with that childlike faith. And yet, people all around us would use a very different terminology for that. It's interesting how people can talk out of both sides of their mouth when it comes to things like this. Issues about marriage and family and children. On the one hand, they can fight tooth and nail to protect the rights of children from those horrible parents that aren't taking care of them. And yet, on the other hand, you have so many people who fight tooth and nail to protect, they say, the rights of women who don't want to have that responsibility of caring for a child and choose to end the life of that unborn child. Supposedly, it's out of love to spare that child from a life of misery and neglect. I wonder, though, if it's more out of concern out of love for themselves, to spare themselves from a life of having to put someone else's needs before their own. Some may disagree with that thought. I have a feeling that because of our sinful natures, it's a very real possibility. Too often, children are viewed as nuisances, as things that complicate our lives and get in the way. And if I'm honest with you all, I've had those thoughts too. I love my children, and yet at the same time, there is a difficulty and a challenge that I struggle with to appreciate this blessing from God. Jesus' own disciples, they seem to struggle with that idea also. We see them at their worst here. Remember what they were doing with the parents who were bringing their children to Jesus to have him bless them? They were telling them, go away, not now. Jesus is busy. He doesn't have time for you. <coughs> Jesus' response is very clear also on how he feels about the children themselves and what he feels about the disciples and the way they treat the children and their parents. He's indignant. He's angry. He says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus knows that these little children, as innocent as they may seem, they're guilty and sinful just like their parents. I've often asked people about that who assume that children are not really sinful, or don't have that ability to make decisions about sinning or not on their own. And I wonder, I ask, do you have to teach your child to throw a tantrum when they don't get what they want? 
You have to teach your child to lie about something when they know that they're in trouble because they didn't obey you. Why is it that a little boy gets so upset when his sister blows his birthday candles out that he turns to her instinctively to pop her right on the nose? Did you teach him that? The obvious answer here from God's word is that even children, from the time that we are conceived, we are sinful. Even little children need a Savior. And without Him, they have no part in God's kingdom. And that's where you come in. Parents especially, you have this great privilege and responsibility. We big children, we come to Jesus in worship and Bible study, in our home devotions, in our prayers. You know that those little children are watching you? They may not say it right out loud, but they're learning. That you come to Jesus and how important that is for them too. Teach them, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But don't just say the words. Show it in your life. And that's not being childish. That's not being silly or narrow-minded. That's faith. That's the power of God and the gospel, the Holy Spirit working through that gospel message. That's the defining quality of those to whom God's kingdom belongs. Childlike faith that trusts our Heavenly Father and seeks His blessing as the greatest treasure and prize. Come near to Jesus out of love for our children, for our families. God's design and desire for married couples and for families is no secret. With childlike faith, you can trust His Word and to guide and strengthen you throughout your life. In your relationships with each other, to encourage and lift each other up in the midst of the challenges and the changes all around us in our society. Children of all ages, that's every one of you, spouses, parents, members of this God's family, come near to Jesus to receive the blessing of his love. And that is a love that we can share and reflect with one another today and every single day. Amen.